Wow, good evening. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Bill, and uh, we're continuing our series on questions that Jesus asked us when he was here on earth. As a matter of fact, it's, they're questions that Jesus is still asking us individually at this time. Uh, some of the questions in the future that we're going to have is, are you going to leave me? Uh, why are you so afraid? These are common questions that, that Jesus asked his disciples at that time, and, and he also asked us. But the question for tonight is, he asked Peter, do you love me? And so tonight, I think we're hitting at the, at the heart of Christianity and the heart of our relationship uh, with God and with Jesus Christ and actually with each other also. Uh, the question that he did, he came to, to, to Simon, who was Peter, and, and he asked him, uh, there was the third time, he said, Simon, a son of John, uh, do you love me? And, and he said, Peter responds, and Lord, you know everything. And we'll, we'll talk about that fact that God knows each and every heart. He knows if we love him. He knows, you know, what, what our situation is. So Jesus says as an answer, feed my sheep. And so this concept of love, we introduce it, but I want to expand it as we start so everyone kind of sees that this is the heart of Christianity. Jesus said you can take the whole Bible and, and you can wrap it around two commands. Love God and love our neighbor. That's the reality that we're talking about tonight. So when, when we're asked, do you love me? We're, we're really being asked by Jesus, do, do we love him? Do we love God? Do we love our neighbors? Is, is love really who we are? It's the foundation for Christianity. Christianity is not based on works or religious dogma or some esoteric way or staircase that we can work our way to heaven through multiple reincarnations building up our karma. It's simply about our heart. Do we love? Do we love God? Do we love each other? So that's really where we're, we're going uh, tonight uh, to be able to talk about that. Uh, it's, and again, our relationship with God is based on his love for us and our love for him. And Jesus is, is the foundation to love God. We, we, we need to know who Jesus is. We need to love Jesus. Uh, Jesus came into the world to demonstrate, and I love that word in, in Romans, demonstrate God's love. Not secret love, but demonstrated to the world that he would send his son to die on a cross for us. God demonstrates his love for us. And uh, this, this question of, of do we love God is not a one-and-done deal. Some people, when I ask them their relationship with God, they'll refer back to an experience, a decision uh, that they made a year, ten years, decades ago uh, about it, confessing their love. But, but our love for, for God and our love for Jesus Christ is really shown each time we make a decision. Now, are we making this decision based on our love for God and our love for our neighbor? You know, it's a question that actually I'm being asked. I have to admit and acknowledge that I'm being asked right now. As I get ready, as I, as I stand up here, uh, do I love Christ? Is this, is this a reality of my life? And as I prepare the message to deliver it, uh, do I care about the people who are listening? Do I, do I have love? This is an ongoing question that we're asked. It's asked when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to Walmart, the little love check there, uh, when we spend our money. What we watch on TV, critical nowadays, a couple of things. What we watch on the Internet, we can, we can graze upon healthy food uh, that builds us up and, and encourages love, or, or we can go places where, where love is not even visible uh, in the area. How we respond on Facebook, becoming more and more toxic as time goes by, particularly as the political season closes in around us. Uh, do we love Jesus? And, and does it show in everything that we do? You know, this is the critical question. So as we start, I'm, I'm going to do what we should do, is acknowledge God and his presence here and ask him to search our hearts. Would you join me, please? Heavenly Father, we... We thank you that you have demonstrated your love to us. There can be no question, there can be no doubt in sending your son to, to take our sins upon himself on the cross. Your love is in front of us. And, and Lord, personally, for myself and for many listening, 
we want to love you more. We want to learn how to love you more. We want to be able to uh, have you pleased and smiling as you look down on our lives. Help us to understand what real love is for, for you and for each other. So we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, uh, let's do some background on this story. Uh, Jesus' time here on earth was, was a series, if you read the Bible, it kind of looks like a series of little pictures, but it's actually a flowing story of his life uh, and his interaction with his disciples. This one uh, is, is, a, is a situation that took place as Jesus stood on the shore uh, with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it, it started, we'll, we'll come back and kind of cover this. Uh, Jesus had risen from the dead. He had appeared uh, over a period of 40 days with many convincing proofs to his disciples. Uh, Thomas had come up and touched his wounds. Uh, the disciples had eaten with him. He had passed through walls. He had multiple discussions that are there. And, and this time, there was kind of a break in the action. So Peter takes the... Uh, takes the disciples fishing. He's, they were fishermen, and so a natural thing to do at times, well, let's go fishing. So they, they head up to the Sea of Galilee, and they fished all night. And this is kind of, there's an echo of a story that happened early on in Jesus' relationship with Peter. But they fished all night, and they got nothing. They got, I guess the fishing expression is they got skunked. And so they got nothing to show for their effort, and so they're just getting ready to pack it in when some figure is moving on the beach and yells out at him, the critic fisherman, uh, hey, put the net in the other side. And so they make a command decision and just to do it, why not? They throw it in the other side and they get a bumper crop of fish. They're almost, they, they can't pull them in. So John, the, the disciple there that has got probably better eyesight than Peter, looks in and says, hey, Peter, that's Jesus on the shore. And with the catch of fish and everything else, uh, Peter, Peter says, absolutely. So he, he, this is typical Peter. He launches over the side, he had, puts, his, puts his bathrobe on, jumps over the side of the boat. He's 100 yards from shore. Now, he didn't walk on water, didn't even try and walk on water. I can imagine Jesus just looking at him, flailing in the water with his clothes on, 100 feet out, swimming and maybe walking in some and going, well, that's my Peter. Uh, that's who that is. And because that's exactly the kind of impulsive action that Peter would take. So they, they get to the shore when they're there and a conversation starts to take place. Uh, this, is a, this is a conversation that we're really going to be focusing on back and forth. Uh, they eat, they, they serve up a meal that Jesus had prepared a fire for, and, and they're, they're, they're talking to each other. They're going back and forth. And, and Jesus asks the question again, Peter, do you love me? And now, he does it three times in a row. Peter, do you love me? Peter responds each time, absolutely, I love you. And then each time, Jesus gives him a command. One time he says, feed me, or feed my sheep. And the next time he says, tend my sheep. And the last time he says, feed my sheep. This is, this is Jesus in an ongoing conversation. Each time Peter affirms his love, Jesus tells him what to do. Uh, three times this takes place. Um, we'll come back to the three times later because Jesus never does anything by accident. Uh, but, but that is confirmed. The question is out in front of us today. Uh, but to answer that question, we need to go back to the first week. And this won't be long, but I want to review who Peter knew Jesus was. What did Peter know at that time? Uh, the first week, we, we talked about a question that Jesus again asked everyone. Who do you say that I am? The disciples and, uh, had gone up with Jesus to an area, what we would call today the Golan Heights, which has now been annexed back and, and taken possession of by Israel. Uh, they're up there at a, actually kind of a uh, pagan worship site to the, to the Roman god Pan while they were up there. But Jesus asked them a question, who, who do you say that I am? And so they respond with, well, you could be Elijah, you could be John the Baptist back to life. Well, Jesus, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, we said the first week, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you're the Christ. 
You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're God's emissary to come fulfill prophecies that are in the Bible and to be our leader and our redeemer, our Messiah. Uh, that's who you are. So, so Peter got that one absolutely right at that time. He made, but here's the thing, and why I have this slide, I love this slide, by the way, and I, I use it all the time because it makes an incredible point. Peter did not make this decision of who Jesus was on a whim. It wasn't just something he thought up. This decision about who Jesus is was based on evidence and facts that Jesus had given him and shown him. So Peter is making a rational decision. He's making a decision because he's got faith in certain facts. One of my, one of my personal heroes, by the way, is a guy named Josh McDowell. Recommend his websites and everything else. But we said a couple of weeks ago that, that his comment is that God never asks for faith unless he gives reasonable evidence. So that's exactly what this train is telling us. There's, there's facts that support faith. Faith always has to have an object. In Christianity, in what we're talking about now, the, the object of our faith, the facts that are there, are those facts that prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He's the Messiah that's come to earth. So Peter had that background in him on that first question. He had faith in that. And he, he should, because Peter had seen it all. It's seen the miracles, the healings, and, and the ones that I think are the most powerful personally for me uh, it, are lepers. These people who were cast out and, and had to yell unclean whenever they went around people. And so Jesus would, would not just speak healing to them, he would touch them. Uh, this, of course, was uh, in the day uh, an invitation to catch leprosy. Like today, we guard touching and wash our hands and everything else to keep away from COVID-19. This was leprosy, which would rot away the whole body. And, and Jesus goes and, and he touches them. And, and Peter had, had seen him do that. Uh, Peter had seen him make food for thousands. Peter served it. Peter also picked up the leftover baskets of food that were left over after this took place. Peter saw uh, a thousand demon-possessed pigs run down and jump into the ocean. It, it, the joke is old and corny, but it was the first time they had deviled ham, so I had to throw it in there. Peter had seen all of this as he went forward. So his response to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, was very logical. It was rational as he went forward. He'd seen Jesus walk on water. Peter jumped in, of course, sank a little uh, he'd seen him turn water into wine. Peter had witnessed several people brought back to life. Jesus spoke, and, and they came back to life. It was a young girl one time, a young boy another time. And then last week, we, we talked about another example of a resurrection. Jesus commanded life and, and brought it back when someone was in, had died. Uh, he was talking to a lady named Martha, whose brother Lazarus had died. We spent a lot of time on this uh, last week. But he asked her a question. Do you, asked her a question, do you believe that I can do this, that I can raise him, that I am the resurrection and the life, and that if you believe in me, you won't die? That was the statement. That's what we said last week. Peter listened to those conversations, knew everything that was going on, and he was standing with the rest of them, watching Jesus call out to Lazarus in the tomb after four days and the decay and everything else that should have been there, Lazarus walks out. So the second question, second question is, do you believe that I am the resurrection? Absolutely. So Jesus is the Messiah, uh, the God that came in the flesh, and he's also the resurrection and the hope that we will have life after this earth. Peter had seen it all. But now, when this question was being asked, he'd seen something else. You see, this is after Jesus rose from the dead. Peter, Peter had been there, uh, had been there in the garden uh, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. He had uh, uh, seen Judas come up and kiss Jesus to, to betray him and to point him out to the guards that were there. So he had seen that. It was Peter who pulled out a sword and 
in a, in a reckless attempt to defend Jesus, who could have called legions of angels, he points out, he whacks off Malchus's ear. And, and much, I think, probably to Peter's chagrin, Jesus didn't turn around and said, nice sword work, Peter. He said, put it away. Put it away. And he reaches down and grabs Malchus's ear and, and puts it back on him. If you've seen the movie, uh, The Passion, you would love that scene with the look on, on Malchus's face as Jesus puts his ear uh, back in place. Peter had seen that, I, but I can't, you know, I, I, I can't imagine his response to that. You know, but then, then something happens in Peter's life that is, is transforming, I believe, uh, to Peter and, and to those other people who participated. It, it certainly is powerful to me. Peter follows Jesus after he has been captured. He and John are there. And so Jesus goes to the high priest's house, goes there. T they take him up to the house, but there's a garden where the, the, the soldiers and the guards who, who couldn't go in uh, would hang out by a fire. Now, uh, in Israel today, they have a place that they say, this is the actual place where this took place. There's a little garden area, and up here's the house. So Peter would have been down there by the fire, uh, something along those lines, and, and staying warm. And, 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 and here's the thing. Before this happened, Jesus had told Peter, who was swearing that he would never, ever, you know, leave Jesus, said, you're going to betray me three times tonight. And Peter, being Peter, just kind of blew off that, and, and, and went forward, but now he's in a situation where people are starting to accuse him of being a follower of Jesus. And, and Peter's in a place and describing, uh, in, in when he writes uh, Mark's gospel and John writes his, he's looking up and seeing Jesus, they would hit him, put a, they'd put a, a hood over his head, then they'd hit him and ask him to prophesy exactly who hit him. Uh, the, the high priest was badgering him. Uh, there were people accusing him, false accusations. It was an ugly trial that was going on. And Peter was watching this, I'm, I'm sure just dismayed at what they were doing to his friend. And, uh, but at this point, people of the third person comes to him and says, no, no, you're, you were with him, obviously putting Peter in danger. And, and Peter actually gives an oath uh, and swears, no, I, I wasn't one of his followers. And I think one of the most important parts in this story is what happens next. We're told that, that while uh, this was all going on and, and Peter does his last betrayal, he, the Lord turns and makes eye contact with Peter. Now, can you imagine this, this moment of, of clarity in, in Peter's mind and his heart as he, he reflects to everything that's taken place and he's been denying Jesus and he looks up and, and Jesus is looking at him. Peter, correct response, uh, goes out and he weeps bitterly. He, he, he is, is, is decimated on the in the inside, the shame of failing Jesus, someone who loved him so much and had walked with him for three years. You know, I, as I get ready for this and as I read through this every time, there's, there's been times in my life when I've made such a stupid mistake in following Christ or unintentionally or intentionally and not knowing I'm making it, but I make it and, and it's almost like I make eye contact with, with Jesus. And, and I, I, I understand this situation and this feeling that that Peter went through, and most followers of Christ have, have done things and, and have said things that we want to take back, and, and I, I believe that's the feeling that Peter was feeling at that particular time. The question that sometimes I would come, well, and I've had people ask me, well, is it all over? Now that I've done this, is Jesus can't love me? Jesus can't forgive me? Is it finished? Have, have I committed the unpardonable sin is a question I often get asked. Uh, Peter answers that really in this situation, no. No, but, but Jesus uh, looks at him, life goes on, and, and then Peter sees something even more than that. He, he sees Jesus nailed to the cross. He sees him uh, spikes in his hand and uh, all of this taking place. 
uh, the crowds jeering and mocking him at this time. The religious leaders, can you imagine that they went out there to participate in this travesty? And Peter's seeing all of this. And then he sees Jesus say the words, it's finished. And he dies. The Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter watches him die. He watches a, a soldier with a spear go and pierce his side just to make sure. And, and water comes out, you know, indicating that, that he's dead. The blood and the water had separated. So Jesus died. The hope died. And, and last thing that Peter had with him was that eye contact. Then, though, we know, <laughs> we know the other story. This was, you know, this was Friday, but Sunday's coming. Uh, then the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, women go out to the tomb while men, Peter and crew, are, are hiding in, uh, for fear of their lives at that time. The ladies show up out there, and there's an angel that points out that, hey, come look, this tomb's empty. Jesus has risen. They go back and uh, tell the disciples. Seems like idle talk. Uh, but, but Peter gets up and, and runs to the tomb. John beats him uh, there, but Peter, when he gets there, he doesn't stop. He just goes right in and, and looks around at the tomb, and, and Jesus isn't there. Peter sees the empty tomb, and he knows that death couldn't hold him, that Jesus is, is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the one that holds the key to life and death, and he can set us free from that. You know, at that time, the evidence that Peter had was, was overwhelming evidence that Jesus was the Messiah, he was the resurrection. Uh, but Peter needed to know one more thing, and, and this is me interjecting into the story, but I think he would have wanted to know one more thing. Would Jesus restore him? Had he crossed a line where, where Jesus would not take him back? Um, I believe that, that that must have plagued him. Uh, but the good news, and for those who've read the story several times, uh, we know after denying him three times, when Jesus rose from the dead, one of the first things he did was he told those women that came to the tomb, you tell Peter that I'm alive. He calls out Peter and says, you tell him for sure. And, and then another time when they're talking about Jesus appearing to people, it talks about that he went to Peter first. Before the 12, he took Peter. He appeared to him. He restored him. Uh, did, did, did Jesus know that under everything, Peter loved him? Absolutely. He, went, he restored him to be able to do that. And Peter was transformed uh, he's restored. He's back. He's back in leadership of the team there. Uh, he's put back in a place uh, it, where he can serve Jesus. And he starts right at the beginning. In, in the book of Acts, there's, there's like 62 times Peter has talked about being the, the leader of the people that are there. Uh, he, he turns around and the very people that he was fearful of, that he was hiding from, that he was behind locked doors with, that he denied Jesus so he didn't have to deal with them, the religious leaders at the time, he stands in front of them and boldly proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah. The, and here it is. He looks them in the eye, gets in their face. You crucified the Son of God. You knew the miracles. You knew everything. He probably didn't point. But uh, he, he, made it, he made it very clear to him, you're the ones. What courage. And he, and he, and he turns around and he, and he points that out to him. This is Peter being bold and telling him these things. You know, this is, this is Peter restored. The question, do you love me? Jesus knew the answer. Yes, feed my sheep. And, and Peter fed his sheep. Uh, he, he went forward and he, and he carried the message to everyone that was there. Peter knew that the sins had been paid for. He watched it. He said, he, these are Peter's writings, by the way, and need to, need to catch up on that. Uh, Peter, many times in the, in the stories of the Gospels, he looks kind of immature and impulsive. He looks that way because I think he was. But over the period of time, 10, 20, almost 30 years, Peter matures. 
he writes letters. In these letters, we see the mature Peter coming out. Uh, he, he makes a point of, of telling everyone that Jesus bore the sins uh, on his body, on a tree. Jesus, Jesus died for us. This, this is the evidence and the truth because he saw it. He knew it was true. These were the facts that he had inside of his life. Uh, he knew he knew these things, and again, uh, in Peter's own in letters, he he knew it. And so, straying sheep can come home. You don't have to be ashamed. Jesus will take you back. Uh, Peter knew the truth of restoration. Uh, Peter knew that he was fully restored. One of the most powerful descriptions of the relationship with God is Peter again. The words he says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us, who God has the power and guarded uh, through faith uh, for a salvation that's ready to be revealed. This is Peter. Blessed be God, he says, because through Jesus Christ, I'm born again. I'm a new person. He was transformed filled with Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to go out. There's no more of this uh, guilt in denying Jesus. Praise and worship flowed from his mouth, and he inspired other people, radically changed, radically restored. Now the truth, you know, that Peter had the evidence of Jesus and his continuing love for him. And, and this is a big deal, and this goes back to the train. It would be irrational, foolish, a lot, even insane for Peter not to love Jesus with all the evidence that he had uh, of who Jesus was, of his heart. And so Peter loved and followed Jesus the rest of his life. At, at one point, Jesus had, had, had given a command. He says, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he also told Peter something else. He gave him another prophecy. Just as he gave Peter a prophecy that before the night's over, before the, the, the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Jesus gives him another prophecy. Truly, truly, he says, when you were young, you could do what you wanted to, but when you're old, you're gonna, things are going to happen to you that you don't like. So Peter goes out and he feeds the sheep. He, he takes care of the lambs. He becomes the leader. He obeyed Jesus for 30 years uh, doing what he was called to do. He was the leader through the book of Acts. It was Peter that went to Cornelius and, and offered the, the truth of, of God's love to Gentiles, people who Jews wouldn't even talk to. The, he was the courageous follower of Jesus Christ. He was the head of the disciples, of the followers, uh, worshiping together. At Pentecost, he gives the message. He stands and gets in their face and says, you're the ones that did this. Peter was chosen by Jesus as the first follower to, to reach out to the Gentiles, something that continued to go, and it was several times Peter stands up for him. Peter traveled widely. He was reported being in Antioch. Peter, the large fisherman, is what he was known at in several places, was venerated, restored, and changed. This was our Peter. Final words uh, for Peter is, is that is when he, when, he, when he talks to the people that are there. Uh, he says, truly, this is at the end of his walk. He's saying, if, you know, if you, uh, when you're young, you used to dress yourself, but you're, but you're going to die. And before he died, though, he penned these letters. So I'm just going to take a minute and quickly go through them. I, I encourage, obviously, the reading of the Bible multiple times. But read the, if you have time, just open the two letters that Peter wrote. And these are just some of the things. He says, as obedient children, this is his call to disciples then as a the leader of them, and he's, it's his call to us. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions you know, of, of, of your ignorance, but uh, as he who called you is holy, as God is holy, as Jesus is holy, we're to be holy too. You know, this, this word holiness is, is not used much, at least as much as it should be in Christianity. So many people are looking that have forgot to make them happy. God's goal is to make us holy. And in that process, 
no matter the circumstances, if we're seeking God and we're walking in holiness, we will uh, have a joy inside of us. Peter was chosen to carry that, that message that's there. And he also calls us to read the Bible. Uh, I love the expression. It's, uh, he says, you know, if read the word uh, like newborn babes uh, suck for the pure spiritual milk that you may be able to grow up into salvation. He says, if you've tasted the Lord and, and you know he's good, read his letter to you. Read his love letter that, that he sent to us that, that we might hear his voice every day as we open it and read it. Uh, and, and finally, he gave a warning. And it's really a warning that's applicable in, in 2020. He said, beware of false prophets and false teachers that, that are going to come. Uh, they're going to come in secretly with destructive heresies, even denying Jesus their master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. He says that they'll follow their sensualities and they'll blaspheme the truth. So he, he warns us about that. But his final words, last letter, last words that we have written from him is grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter closes out his run here on earth reminding us to grow in grace and love for God uh, as, as we go forward. Our Savior, at the end of 30 years of courageous leadership, uh, leading and feeding Jesus' flock, uh, the prophecy came true. When he was old, he went where he didn't want to go. Uh, he was given another chance to deny Jesus. The emperor Nero took him to Rome, imprisoned him, and, and, and Peter had a choice. He said, the, all this happened to all the disciples. If you deny me, you deny your testimony, you deny Jesus, just like he did before, you can walk out of here. The, the historians of the time, uh, one of the historians of the time, when he was given a chance, he said, no. Peter responds, uh, I'd like to be crucified upside down because I'm unworthy and to die the same way as the Lord died. At the last, it's not a denial it was an absolute yielding and a humility. Peter dies for his friend, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Uh, the one who promised to raise Peter and us from the dead. That, that's Peter's story. So how does it apply to us? How do we answer the question? Because the question is for us. Jesus asks each one of us as we go along. You can, you can, you can change the name. He says, uh, Bill, do you love me? And how do you answer? Put your name in there. Do you love Jesus? When, when he's asking, because he is asking, he asks and we make decisions when we uh, have, use our time, when all these things, do we love him as we go forward? You know, the, the, question, the question is simple. Uh, no fancy doctrine, no rules to follow, really, uh, to start this process. This thing, there's just, do you love me? You know, and again, I want to I go back to this train. Do you have the facts that Jesus is indeed the Messiah? Do you have the facts uh, that he physically walked on this earth? Do, do you actually look at the facts and, and understand and have proof for the first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do we, do we have evidence for that? We're in a culture right now, and if you've got kids, they're being inundated with a false doctrine that denies the existence and the creative power of God, and I could go on the rest of the time with that. He said, do we have the facts? Do we have evidence and facts why we believe the Bible is the Word of God? Do we have those facts, and do we have faith in them? And faith in them is this commitment. We talked about that last week. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the evidence and the support of things not seen. It's solid. It's facts. It's proof that we can build our lives on as we go forward. Do we have faith in those? And, and obviously, if we're a rational person, then we'll follow them. To not follow what we know are facts and have faith in would make us insane. And then in, in God's economy, the feelings of doing the right will follow at the end of the train. 
And do we know what Jesus has done for us? Do we know? You know, the, the, the transforming experience that Peter felt and understood when, when he understood Christ's forgiveness, when Christ was on the cross dying for him. You know, if we say we have no sin, if we say we don't need a Savior, we're, we're foolish, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. We're actually calling God a liar. But like, if like Peter, if like the disciples, if all Christians, we come to a place where we recognize that we need a Savior, we need a Lord, we need the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and, and we acknowledge our sin if we admit that. And we know that Jesus died for our sins. You know, I, I love this picture because this is, this really is the heart of Christianity. This is a, a sinner without hope. Colossians uh, talks about a, a, a writ of our charges, our failures, our sins that we've committed being nailed to the cross. This is him bearing our sins, the awareness that that we had part of that. Christ died for the sins of the world, but, but he died for our sins. This is, this is the heart of Christianity. But, but in, in this day and age, again, uh, we, we have to give that warning about false prophets, false teachers. Because there's, there's two kinds of Christianity that's, that, that's actually moving through our country, uh, has been moving now, building up momentum. It's always been there, but later it's become the majority of people have, have been listening to the false prophets. So this is a warning that Peter sends forward to, to 2020 to us today as we read this. Uh, I want to say first that I totally understand because I had the wrong Jesus. I had a false Christianity for 33 years. I thought I was a Christian but I had listened to the false teachers. I had let my desires define my own Jesus. Biblical Christianity, the foundation that we look forward to, is based on love. It's based on him dying for us. But, but you see, there's, a, there's the other side to it. There's a cost to Christianity of Christ dying. But there's a cost to us to accept it. Uh, we, the, the verse says, he himself bore our sins. He died for our sins. But then we respond by being crucified with Christ. You see, so many times people, and in, in the, there's nothing really wrong with this phrase, but so many people in a prayer invite Jesus into their life. Well, that's okay, but it's wrong. Jesus doesn't come into our life. We die. We go into his life. We're no longer in control. We no longer exist. We now have, we find our life, our movement, our power, our wisdom, our energy, everything in Jesus Christ. We go into him, and now he lives through us. We're crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life we now live in the flesh, uh, we live by faith, again, in the facts of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for us. Is that our story? You see, that's biblical Christianity. There's, a, there's another uh, Christianity that, that's out and about today. Um, it's, it's unbiblical Christianity. It's selfish Christianity. It's a, it's a Christianity without biblical love. And just in our culture today where we throw the word love around so much. Um, you know, I love pizza. I love God. I love my wife, which I do. Uh, absolutely. Hi, hon. Uh, <laughs> but, but we love everything. That word. Uh, there's a special love. There's this that God offers. It's, it's unconditional. It's, 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 it's unmerited love that's poured out. It's continuous. It isn't an emotion. It is a response that comes out of our very being. When we're born again in Christ, we get a new being. And that being, the fruit of it is love inside of our life. And so uh, unbiblical Christianity is a selfish Christianity. Again, the difference in, in a lot of relationships, and it's very careful to notice the difference between uh, love and lust. Real love is unselfish and humble. Lust is, is selfish and self-seeking and controlling in those situations. So uh, Jesus uh, tells us that part of our commitment to him is we know we come, we've come to know him. Uh, if we keep his commandments, if we, if we say, I know him, we don't keep his commandments, we're a liar. The truth is not in us. Whoever keeps his word, 
in him truly the love of God is perfected. And, and this is the false Christianity. We, we profess Christ, but we don't follow him. We, we make up our own rules. We pick the ones we like and the ones we don't like. We're often much better at applying God's rules to other people than to ourselves. This is the false Christianity, the unbiblical Christianity that takes place today inside of our world. You know, I did it. I was selfish. I was self-centered. I asked Jesus into my life. I didn't want to give up anything. I wanted eternal fire insurance so that when I died here, I'd go to hell. If I really got into trouble, then I'd call out, get me out of this and serve you forever. That's, that's what so many people pray. You know, uh, that it's so self-centered. So as we close, I want to give you a, a, a verse, and, and we come back to it. There's a narrow gate. Biblical Christianity is a narrow gate. Few people find it because it requires us to truly, honestly, completely, unconditionally love Jesus Christ. And very few people are willing to give that up. It's a narrow gate. Wide's the gate that the world follows. The unbiblical Christianity is wide and easy, and it leads to destruction. And, and those who enter it, you know, uh, there are many, but the gate of Christianity is, is small. It's narrow, and few are they that find it. Find it. Uh, so let me, I'm going to give you a story as we quit. It's a story I've done many times uh, and I tell people this because people will come in and I'll ask if they're a Christian. We'll go back and forth. And, and so I'll try and put a, paint a picture and I'll try and paint it for you in a very short period of time. Uh, people, honest people, live our lives and God makes us aware of something bigger than ourselves. Uh, the Bible says that eternity is in our heart. And the book of Romans, it, it says that he makes himself evident to all people. His divine nature, his eternal power is shown to us. We're without excuse. So people know there's a God. That's, that's been my experience. And so they start wrestling with, with how do I get along with God? What do I do with God? What does he want? And so I describe Christianity. Christianity is about leaving, living our lives, coming to a point where we recognize that we sin and we fall short, and, and we're offending this God because he's holy. And we recognize we have a conscience that, that tells us right and wrong, and, and we violate that. So we know there's a God, and, and we know that we failed him somehow. And I'm going to put this in three steps. We know there's a God. And we'll def I would define it as Jesus Christ, obviously, uh, which is the accurate description for those who have the Scripture and know. So, but I know there's a God. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen short. And so the first step is to know that. The second is to, is, to, is to know that God can heal me, help me. The third step is to turn my life over to him. And here's the, for those of you who are familiar with these steps, here's, here's in our country where it goes wrong. I, I describe a person, I say, you're going to live your life, and, and at some point you're going to come eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. You're going to have that moment of realization, just like the Apostle Peter did when Jesus looked at him. And, and you're going to recognize that Christ on the cross is dying, not for the sins of the whole world, but for you specifically. I, when I saw that, when I made eye contact with Jesus and knew that he personally died for my sins, it transformed me. So I encourage people to, to make eye contact with Jesus on the cross and and at that time, think of, I, I encourage them to think of maybe some things that you've done that you're really ashamed of and, and know that Christ knows that. And he says, I'm restoring you from that. You see, that's, that's biblical Christianity. And, and when that happens, it's, it's unselfish. It's a sacrifice of ourself for a God who sacrificed himself for us. You know, if we... The, the picture in, in so many people today is they come to the cross, they ask for forgiveness, they ask for eternal life, ticket to heaven, they ask for all that, but then they start giving them all the things that, you know, I want you to you know, help my marriage and help this and help that and, and do this and do that, all this request list. Biblical Christianity is we fall in front of the God that died for us and said, what can I do for you? And the answer will be, well, love your neighbor. Love me. Do what is right in this world. You know, the answer, that's Jesus' answer because love produces loving behavior and actions. 
So that's, that's really the response that we have to encourage us in that. Uh, I encourage you to read Peter's letters. Uh, find stimulating reading that will spur you on to, to good works and love. Uh, join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that this is all about love. It's a choice that we make once we know the truth. We, when we know the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who's the Messiah who came to earth, who died for our sins, who, who raised the dead, who is the resurrection and the life, by knowing him, believing in him, and following him, we will not see death. We will be transformed from this existence to an eternal existence with God in heaven. Lord, for each person that, and myself, Lord, let us search our hearts, verify uh, our love for you that is unselfish, untainted, uh, humble, uh, willing to serve. We thank you, Lord, that you will show up, that you will speak honestly to us, and that, that for those who are sincere, you'll, you'll make eye contact. You'll let us know. Uh, that indeed we, we have been restored, we've been born again, and we're free to serve. Thanks for that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Nick Nick is l hey. lurking on the side. He's the, you got it. How Go are you? for it. Yeah. How are you doing? I, well, I'm doing great. That was really awesome. Thank you. Well, but I've got some questions. Okay. Well, you're going to question <laughs> me or announce me? For everybody at home. Okay. Um, we will do questions. So if you've been watching and you have questions, if you're watching live, you can text them into the number up on the screen. And, and I've got a phone right here where they come right to me. And I'll ask Mr. Bill whatever you want me to ask him. Anything. If it shows a softball. Up, Send softballs. So, so, we'll, so we'll start easy. Yeah. Okay. We, this is going to be just so much fun. I'm really excited. Um, so the first one was before the foundations of the world... Did the Trinity exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit roles? Yes. Because they have to. Because they're eternal, they're immutable, which means they don't change. So they, they are not bound by this reality. So they're not in this time domain. They are in the eternal time domain without beginning, without end, as they are. And uh, they were there in, in their role as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, a matter of fact, that at the, yeah, in Genesis 1, it says, well, I could go on, but the Spirit of God moves across the water. God speaks, let there be. We know Jesus is there. Let us make, he is the creator. Let us make us and make man in our image, uh, father and son. Yes, all are, still are, always will be. Cool. Yep. Always has been, always will be. Yep. Cool. Can you comment on Acts 5.38 where Gamaliel tells the council, if these men are not of God, then what they are doing will come to nothing. Yeah. This sounds like good advice, but that doesn't seem to be the case with, with Islam, Mormonism, etc. Can you comment on that? Yeah. Gamiel was, there was two great leaders, Hillel and Gamiel, in Jerusalem at that time, and they were the leaders of the Pharisees. They had, you know, different parties or groups inside of them. Gamiel was the one actually that the apostle Saul was under before he became Paul. Uh, brilliant man, uh, brilliant approach. This, this concept of uh, if it's not of God, it will go away. If it's of God, you can't stop it. Uh, true, it it's a true statement. We, we're living in a time where as we look at, and I just, you can start picking the nations, the empires that rose and fell over the years. Uh, there's some of them we'd probably like to see fall a little faster, uh, and some will actually end up at the Battle of Armageddon on the last day, and that's when they fall. I think we're in the end times, so I think some of them, whether it's Islam or some of the other ones that are mentioned, they're going to be in existence. They'll be players up until Jesus comes back uh, and sets up his kingdom here on earth. So if it's of God, it will flourish through, through Jesus' return. If it's not of God, it will be done away with. Cool. Thank you. I got one more. Okay. <laughs> I just read what's on here. Um, <laughs> look, look, <what? laughs> uh, he's doing the pilot deal, it, washing it, his hands. Go right <laughs> ahead. 
So is Luke 18, 1 through 8, the parable about the persistent widow, yep. truly about hounding God concerning a particular issue through prayer? And there's a part two, but maybe, well, I'll tell you part two that will maybe help part one understand where part one's coming from. In 2 Corinthians 2, 18, Paul, Paul only prayed three times for his thorn to be removed, and then doesn't seem very persistent. Okay. Uh, well, first off, the persistent prayer, uh, it ends in that portion, if I'm correct, uh, Luke... 18, 1 through 8. 18, 1 through 8. Yes, sir. It, it ends up with uh, talking about God, the persistent, if I'm right, the persistent prayer goes forward. But then it ends up in a phrase in one of the Gospels where it says, you know, but, but you being evil, if, you, if your son asks for a, uh, you know, a, something good, a bread, you won't give him a, sna- a snake or a, a scorpion or anything like that. You give him something, you give him something good. But also, your father, your heavenly father uh, will give good gifts to those who ask. So it's, it's really, a, it, he kind of sets the persistence aside. Uh, the one thing about God he knows what's best for us. And uh, he's going to already be moving to bring that into our life uh, as we go forward. The, the idea of us controlling God through our prayers, I would encourage, I don't know who sent that question, but uh, in, at the end of uh, Romans 11, it says that God's ways are unscrutable and unknowable. And then it turns around to say, who are you to counsel God? And in my Bible, I wrote in prayer. That doesn't mean I don't bring things up. But that means that, God, I know you're aware of this. I'm your servant. I can ask for healing. I can ask for help. I can ask for wisdom. I can ask for all that. But I end up with, thy will be done. And I think that's the answer to the... uh, Paul as he calls out with whatever the ailment he had and and he he responds to God he prays three times that this thorn in the flesh whatever it is to be removed but he goes right in again it's it's one of those if you read the whole passage he goes right into uh but this this thorn has helped me this this thorn has allowed me to grow this thorn uh re- has me rely on you more. When I'm weak, I'm strong. You know, that kind of a deal with, with Paul. So uh, pray, absolutely. But trust God to do what is absolutely right and to trust him in it. So uh, again, I'd really recommend the end of 11, uh, Romans 11. So, okay. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you big time. Okay. That really is it, I think. Unless Thank you. Wants you to got it. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go down here once <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Mr. Bill. That was really just super awesome.